My name is Nancy Farrow, also known as Mama Lou, and I'm the founder of Epic Experience. Epic Experience mission is to empower adult cancer survivors and thrivers to live beyond cancer. I hope that as you listen to Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer, you find hope, healing, and empowerment. Through stories and education, we aim to guide those impacted by cancer, and more importantly, offer love and support to anyone out there who needs it. This is Beyond Cancer. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about men finding their community. And joining me is Trevor Maxwell, the founder of Man Up to Cancer. Welcome, Trevor. Thank you, Gail. Great to be here with you. So let's start by having you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from. And let's include one fun fact, if you don't mind. You know, this always, this is like our match moment, right? I feel like I'm 44. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I'm I'm 44 years old. I live in Maine, uh, beautiful state of Maine, right outside of Portland. And first and foremost about me is that I'm a family family man, family guy. My wife Sarah and we have two teenage daughters. Yikes! Uh, wow. Sage is 16. Elsie is 14. They're both in high school now, and um, they're both actually home um, today. They're doing remote schooling, so. We may hear a little bit of them in the background, which is just real life as part of the podcast, but exactly. hopefully not, hopefully not. Um, but no, I, so family man, um, and what brings me here connecting with you is cancer. So I, um, have colon cancer. I have stage four colon cancer. I have been living with that since March of 2018, which is when I was diagnosed. So you were diagnosed, help me do the math. <clears throat> yeah. Chemo, coming up on chemo four brain. years. Coming up on yeah, four yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did you find out like, were you having certain symptoms? Was it just, is it in your family? Tell us a yeah, little bit so, about your cancer. Well, story. and let me start with, with colon cancer. First of all, because I think a lot of people, it's funny. And I didn't really know too much about what I, what my colon even was before I got diagnosed with it. So, um, it's also called the large intestines. I don't know why they don't just call it large intestine. Cancer. Much easier. Not sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a complete shock. I, I, unlike a lot of people who have colorectal cancer, who do have symptoms, say blood in your stool or abdominal, persistent abdominal pain, um, different red flags. I didn't really have any red flags. The only red flag that I did have was fatigue. Hmm. And, and that wasn't really a red flag for me because I was 41 years old at the time with a busy family life and working full-time as a public relations consultant and writer. And so being tired a lot, I just thought I was getting older, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, midlife tiredness. Um, <clears throat> but it got so intense. It, it was, it started to become just more than tiredness. It was mm -hmm. really limiting my activities. And I've always been a very active outdoorsy type of person. Um, and that winter before I got diagnosed, I just noticed that things just started to get really difficult for me, whether it was being, bringing wood in to, for the fire or just just walking up a set of stairs, I would start getting really winded. Hmm. 
And so I finally called my primary care physician, like a lot of men, which we're going to delve into. I had not gone to the doctor in many years, right? <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really getting checkups around my health, mm-hmm. but the fatigue got to the point where I finally did call, reach out to my primary care physician. She had me do some blood work and she said, well, it's no wonder you're tired. You are severely anemic. You have almost no iron in your blood. So she asked me, you know, and for an otherwise healthy 41 year old man, there's very few reasons for that. Usually it's if you have blood loss or you're bleeding somewhere. So she said, usually that's within the gastrointestinal tract. So she said, we need to get you a colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. And within a week of that, I got a colonoscopy and learned that I had a, um, about a four inch size tumor in my large intestine. Wow. Yeah. And so complete life asteroid, you know, Oh yeah. there was no, there was no context for this in my, in my world. No, there's no easing into that. <laughs> that no. that's, that's completely out of the blue. So was it like, let's do surgery now kind of thing? Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> so I went from being just regular dad and worker and kind of a normal life to all of a sudden I was a patient and, and everything that entails, you know, diving right into the medical system, meeting with oncologists and surgeons and learning about colon cancer and trying to find out like, what the hell do I do for this? And how do Mm -hmm. I survive this? And, um, so it was a, I mean, there's a real shock period for sure, but you don't have time for that because you're, you're, you know, within a week of that, I was getting ready for surgery. Yeah. Um, so there's really not time to even, even learn about what's happening when, when things are urgent like that. So, so yeah, I had, um, colon surgery pretty much right away. They removed a pretty large section of my large intestine. Hmm. And at that point, we actually thought I was stage three because my first CAT scan didn't show any metastasis. But my next one, however, did show that I had a tumor in my liver, a metastatic tumor in, in my liver. So that meant that I was metastatic. I had stage four disease and everything that comes along with that. I mean, Everyone says, don't look at Google, but of course the first thing I'm doing is <laughs> of <laughs> I'm, <course>. going, <laughs> I'm going to Dr. Google and it's like less than 15% overall survival rate for stage four colon cancer. And that mm. rate hasn't really changed in a long, long time. You know, despite some of these breakthroughs that are happening, it's not, it, the prognosis is very grim for people in my boat. So it, again, that, that was part of the, the shock experience was just like, holy uh, bleep, not sure if I can swear on this podcast, but yeah, it, that was, you know, and with the young kids and they were 12 and 10. Oh, at gosh. The time. And, and so, yeah, it, it was, it was a nightmare. Yep. So surgery staging, did you start chemo? Did you do radiation? Yep. Any? Yep. So, so surgery staging, um, I did chemo and, but this was before we realized I was metastatic. And oh, then once okay. we realized that I was metastatic and had disease in my liver, at that point, we also learned that I had something called Lynch syndrome. So mm. the basics on Lynch syndrome is it's a hereditary predisposition to cancer, basically. So oh. the body has, um, we have a certain set of genes that are responsible for repairing when our cells make mistakes, our body usually takes care of it. It's like a spell check, <laughs> but with Lynch syndrome, these genes, one of the, one or more of these genes is basically damaged so that if cells start m- making mistakes, our body doesn't always repair it, which makes it so that we are more susceptible to developing cancers. And it's a, I, we had no idea this was in our family. 
Um, didn't I had never heard of Lynch syndrome, no reason to. Um, but when I learned about this, I started spreading it around our family. And since then we've had cousins, uncles, even my father, a lot of people have tested positive for the Lynch syndrome gene mutation. It's just that most people with this particular mutation don't actually end up getting cancer or if they do, it's usually later in life. Um, but, but for whatever reason, I, I'm the one that, um, got, got picked. I got, I got the cancer card. So, um, so yeah, so what, but I guess circling around once I had that diagnosis, Lynch syndrome actually makes people really good candidates for immunotherapy, hmm. which is a different from chemotherapy. So chemotherapy is a treatment that goes out, wipes in, wipes out fast growing cells. Like it's systemic. It's the whole body. Immunotherapy is different in that it really changes your immune system and kind of un, un, um, unlocks the brakes on your own hmm. immune system so that your immune system can go after your cancer. And that was what was, so what was recommended to me at the time was either liver surgery to remove my tumor, metastatic tumor or, uh, immunotherapy. And at the time back in 2000, this was 2018 at that time, all of my doctors were saying your best chance right now, you have one tumor in your liver. That's the only thing we see you should go for surgery. So I did, I had open liver surgery. And unfortunately three months later, I had another tumor pop up in my liver. <sighs> so again, same choice. It was, you, we can do this again. And, and yeah. they did recommend it. They said, go for the, because it's it, with metastatic disease, cure is really tough to achieve. And mm-hmm. usually the only way cure is, is achieved is through uh, a combination of chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and surgery. Yeah. And so for me, it was, okay, let's go for surgery again. And I did. And long story short, I recurred again. And yeah. so then I went on. So since then I've been on a combination of immunotherapy and chemotherapy kind of, I've done both. So my, the, my treatment so far in the past three and a half years is colon surgery, two liver surgeries. And then I had another major surgery a month ago to remove some tumors from my abdomen. Mm. So my disease has spread to my liver and to my abdomen, but actually as of right now, I actually don't have any visible disease in my body because of my last surgery. Awesome! It's like, it's like really the first time since I started this, that I can say technically right now, I'm no evidence of disease. I'm I'm in, in that place we call Ned. Um, yep. and we know that being stage four, my chances of recurrence are, are high, but there's also a, a, a chance that I go cancer free for quite some time. And there's also a possibility that I stay cancer free. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, that's, that's the route that I'm shooting for, but that's kind of a summary on my, the treatment part of it is lots of surgeries, lots of chemo <laughs> and lots of immunotherapy. And I'm still, um, yeah, still pushing, still fighting, still living. That's um, almost awesome. four years into it. And was just super grateful for that. And yeah. yeah, excited to be still, still going here. That's awesome. So along with that shock factor, how did you deal with it? Like, okay, uh, not you're well. a dad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're a, you're a, you're a dad, you're a husband, a son, you know, you have these, your friends. Did you tell people, obviously your wife and your kids probably, but what yeah. about your guy friends? <clears throat> like, did you, how did you talk about this experience with others. It was really, really tough because in that period, when we were telling people, I was still pretty much in shock, right? It's like Mm -hmm. still in that early period of just stunned. And I've always been very open about things that I'm going through with, with my friends. I do have, I'm lucky to have some close guy friends and with my family. So we did tell everyone at the time, but I think the hardest, but, but it was really hard. It was Mm -hmm. really hard to tell them 
it was really hard to even, I mean, I wasn't even close to accepting yeah. that I had cancer at that point. It was just, it was just stunned. So, um, I think the hardest thing was just the roles. So we, mm-hmm. like you said, we all have roles. We have stories that we tell ourselves about mm-hmm. who we are and the stories that I always told myself were, you know, very capable dad worker, part of my community friend. And then adding the role of cancer patient and what that meant at the time was very difficult because I was just, I went into a period of being unable to do a lot of the things that I love to do Hmm. physically, emotionally. So going through surgery, going through chemo, you know, having people come over and mow the lawn or take out the trash or, you know, (laughs) do kind of the chores that I like doing as a dad, like that kind of stuff, driving my kids around. Um, it was like, all of a sudden I had to give up all the, the things that I loved about my life and just focus on fighting this disease. And, you know, you do what you have to do, but that was, I think that was just really jarring for me. Yeah. I can imagine what part of your own experience then led you to create man up to cancer and also talk about what, what man up to cancer is and kind of how your journey led into that. Definitely. So that piece of like losing kind of my identity being shattered um, really leads into that question because mm-hmm. I went into a period of really dark mental health. My, I was struggling with, so this would have been 2018 into late into, you know, into late 2018, because I had my first liver surgery and I was very you know sick and re- trying to recover. And my mental health was just really poor, um, anxiety, depression, uh, really, really bad. I mean, there was I was disabled by it. Honestly, it was far worse than dealing with the physical dealing with the emotional fallout at that point was far worse than dealing with the physical aspects of cancer. And I found myself in a place where I was just, you know, I would be on the couch or the bed, not talking to anyone crying in a heap, just feeling like I was going to die and abandon my family and (laughs) that I had failed them. Um, So shame, um, sadness, grief, um, all of those things really put me in a very dark place. So were you able to talk to your wife about it? I mean, is that, yeah, absolutely. And she plays a a crucial role in the man up to cancer story. And, you know, obviously my story, because I was, you know, she saw, (laughs) she saw this this once, right. Right. This once vital husband turned into someone who was struggling physically, but also just really checked out and withdrawn and, and angry and depressed. And and I, I was, I was gone. I was not engaging with my family. I was just suffering. And so, but she, again, like I always say in every talk that I, every person that I talk to about this journey, if not for her and my two children, I probably would have just gone out into the woods somewhere and just gone into a hut and you know, gone to a up to camp and disappeared because yeah. I, I felt like I was a burden. Yeah. But they refused to give up on me. They, they knew that I was going through hell, mm-hmm. but they wanted me to be able to rebound and they knew that I could. And so, you know, my kids really encouraged me. It was, it's funny that you think you, you think you're going to lead your kids through this, but oftentimes they're the ones who end up leading you. Um, they just encouraged me to try to keep doing my best and to keep living. And my wife really, we, we like kind of had it out at one point cause she was sick and tired of me being out of commission. And, and I don't blame her. She wanted me to get better mentally. And she said, and, and I was just like, I, I cannot get over the idea that my, that I'm going to die. And my kids are going to remember me as sick. 
And, and this is really the turning point is when my wife, Sarah, she turns to me and she had, she had this look on her face, like, I'm going to say something that you probably don't want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, go ahead, just say it. And she looks at me and she goes, I'm not afraid they're going to remember you as sick. I'm afraid they're going to remember you as sad. Hmm. Wow. <sighs> and I get choked up every time because she knows that I'm not a sad person. Like, yeah, I have my sad moments, but in general, I'm a very positive person. I'm a loving person. I'm an outward person, someone who's, you know, anxious and de- I, I've gone through some anxiety and depression in my life before cancer, but nothing like this. Yeah. Um, and so when she said that, I was just like, Oh my God, she's right. Like <laughs> if I don't really work on turning myself around, it's just going to be, yeah, man, dad, for those last, whatever years it was, dad was just a sad person. And I'm like, I, I didn't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, so that was like the Shawshank redemption moment of get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah. And so how did that moment lead to creating man up to cancer? So I started reaching out. (laughs) The first step was accepting the fact that I needed help along the way. Yeah. (sighs) which as a guy, as it turns out, is we're not the best at <laughs> <laughs> newsflash newsflash guys often try to just do it on their own. So once I realized that I couldn't just do cancer on my own, I started reaching out for help. I went to group therapy. I found a, a support group here at the, the Dempsey center here in Maine has a tremendous uh, resources. So they have individual therapy, group therapy, nutrition, exercise, all that stuff. I started kind of becoming a regular over there at the Dempsey center and I started reaching out to people online. So I, I, you know, colon town is a Facebook group that is specifically for colorectal Hmm. patients and caregivers. And I, I met kind of my, one of my tribes there and, and then other colon cancer groups, um, started just meeting people who are going through the same thing. So that shared experience, um, getting me out of my head, and actually into a place where I could meet others going through it. Um, and then I started through that getting resources and tools that I needed to actually fight the disease, like learning about treatment options, learning about how to tackle this. So as I'm doing that, I started to get empowered and my mental health started improving. Like, mm-hmm. and I started exercising more, like everything started coming together so that even though I was continuing to fight on the cancer side, that my mental health started to improve. So along the way, I noticed a pretty glaring, (laughs) uh, there was a glaring issue with all these support spaces, whether it be online, in person, or the cancer advocacy groups online. It was like everywhere I went, there was pretty much 75% women, 25% men. And it was funny how like consistent that three to one ratio was like at the Dempsey Center in Colentown. And oftentimes the, the women that I would meet through these organizations would be women caregivers for their male, for males going through cancer. So wives in colon town, whose husbands have colon cancer would, would just post all the time. Like my husband doesn't, he's got his hand in, he's got his head buried in the sand. I don't know how to help him. He's hmm. a mess, but I'm here trying to find help for him. And same thing, my hmm. son, my cousin, like, so I started getting the theme that guys were struggling with cancer, but not necessarily uh, feeling like they were, they weren't reaching out. They weren't in these mm-hmm. support spaces. Like, and, and that just, that was really the second piece that was like, got my mind spinning. Like, damn, man, I can't be the only dude <laughs> struggling with yeah. the fallout of cancer. Like, I know that there's guys out there like me who are on the couch or, 
on their knees, just struggling with the biggest challenge of their life. And maybe they don't know where to turn, or maybe they don't feel comfortable turning anywhere or who knows, Mm -hmm. but they're out there. And so I was like, and again, Sarah, my wife was like, we need to do something to help those guys. And absolutely. Like that's the genesis. That's really where it came from was I want to provide support for those men out there and their caregivers um, and their families who are out there struggling with, with cancer. And that's where man up to cancer really becomes a whole community thing, because when we help the men with their mental health and, and with, with all the whole process of the cancer journey, we help their partners and mm-hmm. their families and their communities. So it's really, it starts with a guy thing because there hasn't traditionally and recently there has not been a sort of male oriented. There's not much male oriented in, in what I call cancer land, which is like the advocacy spaces and the, the online groups. There's a lot that are more female oriented, honestly, and women to women groups and stuff like that. There just isn't much for guys seeking uh, brotherhood or camaraderie from other men. And so that's the, that's the space that man up to cancer really emerged from was seeing that need in the support space and then stepping up. And and once I started putting it out there, this whole man up to cancer idea and, and bringing people into the community, it really, it became really clear how great the need is much greater than I ever thought it was Mm. because men would just get in touch and they come into the community and I'll explain what, what we do after this, but they'd come in and say, you know, I've been looking for, for this kind of vibe and, and sort of this male to male, we got your back kind of thing. And I just haven't found it. And this is the first Mm -hmm. place that I've felt that. And also, and, and a lot of guys feel comfortable sharing with other men in a way that sometimes they don't feel comfortable sharing in a co-ed space for a Mm -hmm. lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes they're too scared or too ashamed or too embarrassed or too angry or dealing with too many emotions to feel like um, they want to do that in, in front of women, to be honest, that mm-hmm. that's just because a lot of guys, they're, they're conditioned that way. Like yeah. they don't feel comfortable. And, and so it's not, it's not a, um, it's more of just a providing a place of comfort for men to express everything they're going through around cancer, honestly, and to have a group of men that are going to have their back no matter what, and allow them to feel whatever they're feeling and even open up to them to, to feeling those things when maybe they'd been shut down for a long time. So that's the vibe that we're going for. And right now man up to cancer is a website with, with resources and profiles and some different content, um, social media that I do a a public Facebook page, Instagram, my own personal Facebook, and then the, the group itself, which is called man up to cancer, the howling place. And that's a group, a private group on Facebook specifically for men who are patients, survivors, or caregivers to someone going through cancer. And in the group right now, we have about 1300 men wow. from awesome. Yeah, and it's amazing. Um, from all around the U S all, I think we're in all States now and Canada, um, Mexico, um, other countries, I think we have maybe four or five other countries right now, small numbers. I mean, relatively small, but for, to, but for getting men together to kind of talk about their experiences. And like, I, I think of us as like the, the social group for dudes going through cancer. I, I think we're, we're off to a, to a tremendous start. When did you actually launch? When did? Yeah, it was, I, I say like December, I'm sorry, New Year's Eve, basically New Year's, New Year's Eve of um, 2019. So really January 1st, 2020 
was kind of the day that okay. I say man up to cancer was, was born. Um, that's when I opened the, the howling place. Well, and, and what, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to, before I even, I got, I have to get his name in there too, right now, because on day one, when I started it, I, Joe Bullock from Durham, North Carolina, a stage three colorectal cancer patient survivor, um, kind of, he came forward really, as I was planning this, I, I kind of reached out to him. I was like, Hey, Joe, um, this is what I'm planning. I have this thing called man up to cancer. I want to put it together. want to do this group. And he was like, I am on board. I will do everything I can to make this a success. Let's do this. And he had so many friends in, in cancer land that when we opened the group, I was thinking like, Oh, this is going to be small and we're going to grow slow. And it's going to be like family and friends. And Joe like put the bat signal out to like <laughs> his whole cancer community online. And within the first couple of weeks, we had like a couple hundred guys wow. in there and I'm like, and so I just want to shout out that like, I'm, I, I founded this and, and I came up with the concept and the vision and everything else. But Joe Bullock has been such a, a crucial leader in this space. And um, he's now the lead administrator of the Facebook group, which allows me to do a lot of the other stuff, the podcast. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't even mention. So I, I do the Man Up to Cancer podcast, um, which is on hiatus right now, but hopefully it'll come back soon. Um, so yeah, so Joe, I know you're listening to this. You rock. And together, we, we really kind of become a, a force in getting guys to like open their eyes and sort of see what we have going on. That's awesome. So really your goals, your, your goal is to create a space facilitated by men for men to get yeah. them to open up, to deal with this thing that they don't want to deal with. Would you add yeah, anything else to that? Really, what other goals? Yeah, I mean, I re really what it's all about is avoiding isolation. Anyone going through cancer is is going to have a hard time when they isolate. Not only that, mm -hmm. not only have a hard time, but they're going to have worse medical outcomes. Their relationships are more likely to dissolve. They're going to have more trouble with mental health. So the core goal of man up to cancer is to really create a community where men can have, yeah, it's a community where they can feel like they're part of a larger group that they mm -hmm. don't have to go through this on their own, um, that they don't need to be isolated through cancer because we have we have a community for them. Um, so I guess when I think about where this is all headed is, um, I think the community is going to really dictate what the future looks like for man up to cancer right now. It's just, a, it's really a call to action. Mm -hmm. So through the podcast, through the web stuff and through the group, it's a call to action to say, Hey, we want to change what it means to man up to cancer. There was an old way for men to deal with cancer. And that was be silent, be stronger, suck it up, go through it on your own. Don't burden others. And you know what? I think the intention behind that was, was good, but the problem is that doesn't work. And it's not mm -hmm. the way that social structures should work, which is why we're called the wolf pack. That's why I, that's why the vision is centered all around the wolf pack theme because wolves, it, it, it's the way that humans should be for one another, that men mm -hmm. should be for one another is that when someone's wounded or injured, we <laughs> They have a, they have a whole pack that's going to look after them. They don't have to yeah. go through that on their own. Right. Um, yeah. So, so I guess the long-term, the long-term vision is, is hopefully just to grow the space and normalize really to provide role models and normalize the idea that men facing cancer can have support that accepting help is a strength, not a weakness. Mm -hmm. And hopefully 20 years from now or 30 years from now, that will be the new path for for men with cancer is like 
at that point, if someone's just totally isolating and like, you know what, I got this, don't talk to me. It'll be like, okay, but you know, choose at your own peril. I really like that idea. You're normalizing a different view, a different way of dealing with it, a different way of um, kind of muddling your way through uh, cancer as a guy. Um, and in this space, I'm wondering if you have partnered with other cancer organizations uh, as part of what you've done. Yes. So as a, and that's another part of the, the goal really of the, the group is that I love to connect and partner with like-minded people, organizations, um, others who are working on solving this problem of, of supporting cancer patients through the psychosocial piece of it. You know, the, the treatment is, is covered. You know, we all that the, the, the hospitals, the institutions, I mean, I mean, it's not, it's not covered, meaning it's not where we want it to be, but it has right. its own, um, it has its own place. Whereas the psychosocial and the supportive places for people with cancer, that is just, there's always such a need that. So, um, Epic experience is probably when I go back, like that's one of the first organizations that I met and I met the Farrah Colin and, and Michael and, and Mark and Nancy, the Farrell family. And I got to know them. And I'm, I'm glad to say that Colin and Mark and Michael are part of the Wolfpack in our group. Awesome. And we have a relationship and we actually have um, some exciting news coming up as we're about to announce that our partnership is going to lead to an actual camp. So we're going to have a Very epic cool. experience, man up to cancer. Yeah. Man up to cancer camp experience in Colorado, hopefully <laughs> with, um, <laughs> with the, with the Farrell family. And and this is going to be an outdoor adventure experience and an opportunity for, and it's going to be reserved for people from men from Map to cancer. And so the details are being worked out, but hopefully mm. what we plan on is next summer. So summer or summer 2022 or early fall 2022, we're going to have this camp experience. And uh, I'm super excited about that. That sounds awesome. So I'm curious, kind of as you've now you've been doing this for a couple of years and you've talked to lots of men. Why do you think men in general are hesitant to reach out for support? Because we're stubborn mules, I guess. <laughs> uh, I think it's, we touched on it before. I think it, I think it comes down to cultural conditioning hmm. and, and we can talk all day about cultural conditioning and, and biology and like the differences or not the differences between sexes. But in my experience and from what I've read in the literature, in, 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 there's actually science backing up this idea that men tend to isolate. When going through a life-threatening illness at a higher rate compared to women and have usually have actually have um, worse trouble with mental health often. Um, so there's a lot that actually backs that up with evidence. But I think what it comes down to is that a lot of men in our culture grow up with that message in their head is that if something comes along, that is a tough challenge, that it's your job to be tougher and that you don't need any help. There's this rugged individualism that's part of our culture and that's part of our heritage and that's we're brought up that way, you know, rub some dirt on it and move on. Right. <laughs> so I think this conflicts with, with then, then someone gets, and, and oftentimes you can do that. Like there's plenty of situations in life where you can just pull up your bootstraps and get through just fine individually. But when it comes to cancer, it's a, man, that's a different beast. And, and, and so, so yeah, I think the hesitation is just as a man, if I, accept help or, or even if I admit that I need help with this, am I less of a man? Mm -hmm. uh, is that, does that challenge my idea of mass? Um, 
So I think that's the initial barrier is just that a lot of people have this definition of what it is to be a man in their head and getting help is not part of it for a lot of men. So that's Mm -hmm. the nut we're, we're working on is that, man, it's okay to accept help because, Hey, you accept help. Then you pass it on. Then you're helping others. And, and, and also like, if you want to be like a a guy's guy and like, you feel like you're a man, like maybe you feel like you're the provider and you got to be tough and all this stuff. Like, is there any better way to do that than to actually survive (laughs) and be there for your family? Right. And so you, you have to get help to get, you know, if you're not, if you're isolating, you're not having those conversations that are going to put you in the best place to, to survive your disease. Absolutely not. And to me, that's, that's poor, that's a poor choice. So, yeah, I think, I think the cultural piece of it is the biggest piece of it. And, and it's what we're looking on. That's what we're working on. So what cultural misconceptions are there about men facing cancer that then kind of result in the way that men respond? The first thing that comes to mind is there's a perception among men that, uh, that we can't change, Hmm. you know, that we're stuck in our ways that, you know, well, geez, you can reach out to this guy, but he's, he's never going to accept help and he's never going to change. And in my experience, once is that that's not true. Men can change. And I think going through the cancer experience is actually an invitation for change Hmm. and a, and a demand for change. So I've seen tons of men come into the man up to cancer community with, with a chip on their shoulder and, and not wanting to, you know, share and, and feeling like just a lot of bad emotions and then get to this point where it's like, man, it feels pretty good to be supported. And now I feel pretty good to support others. Hey, you know, there's actually something to this whole community thing. Um, so change is possible. I think that's number one. And then, and then number two is that men, I think there's a misconception that men can't be good communicators like around their cancer. Like, Oh, he just doesn't talk about it. He never will. And then we get guys in there and all of a sudden it's like, they won't shut up about their (laughs) cancer experience. And, and can be very poignant and articulate about it and, and, and really dig deep. We see some really intimate sharing of the toll that cancer takes or, or the beauty that cancer produces in us as individuals. We see, so in the, in the group, we see posts every day Hmm. along the, uh, that are along those lines. And it's really a beautiful thing to see. It speaks to the safety, I think that that has yes. been created and the mutual uh, vulnerability coming uh, from all sides. Yeah. That's and, really and that's, cool. I think that's all just role modeling. Like when you mm-hmm. see like, so when you see some of the guys in the group, like we had a, a guy who unfortunately he's passed away, but he's a legend in our group, Jared McMillan. He loved being in the gym, pumping iron. He could probably deadlift, you know, several hundred pounds. I mean, he's a, a air force. I think if I, remember correctly, but military guy. Um, so a lot of miss, you know, people make some assumptions about this guy and he, you know, comes in one day to the group, he's posted to the group all the time. So, so inspirational. And he said to the group, you know what? I was struggling so bad. I finally, I went to a therapist and mm. it's one of the best things and strongest things that I've done in a long time. And I got a lot out of it and it really helped. And for him to say that, all of a sudden it was like the dominoes start falling. Like others look to him and like, wow, this is like an alpha wolf, man. And if, if he thinks that getting help and maybe talking to somebody is helping him, then maybe I should too. And, and, and I also want to say like different types of tools are 
people think like we talk about cancer, like dealing with it emotionally, it's like doing therapy or just talking about it. And that's one way to go. And that helps a lot of people, including myself. I do therapy, but for a lot of guys, maybe there's different types of um, resources in the toolbox that can help them through it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's exposing them to them, to, to the different types of things that you can, that you can do to help with your mental health or help with the different aspects of, of cancer. So, so yeah, Jared, rest in peace, man. I mean, again, another fabulous role model for this next generation of cancer patients. So here we are, we're having a chat or a campfires of hope. So I'm going to ask you probably a key question in our discussion, marshmallows (laughs) over a campfire, slow and steady or flame and crispy. Oh man. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm on the spot now, but, uh, well, I will say this about, before I answer, I got to say this about campfires. I, I live in Maine, grew up out here. So very outdoorsy love. I love a good campfire. So, you know, um, you know people of a certain vintage are, are going to remember the movie, Jerry Maguire, where yes. uh, Renee Zellweger <laughs> says to Tom Cruise, uh, you know, you had me at hello. And I'll, I think I'll always say to Colin Farrow that you had me at campfire. Um, yep. <laughs> um, so I, I'm down to sit around a campfire at any time. And I'm going to go with the low and slow marshmallow toasting. I, I don't know if I'm in the minority on that or not, but low and slow to me. I know, I know there's probably a bunch of people who like the crispy and just flambe, but mm-hmm. I'm going to go low and slow for that. Um, yeah. All I, right. I, don't, I don't love the, the, the char on the marshmallow. What about you, Gail? Understood. I would go for flame and crispy because I do like it crispy. All right. So there you See, go. We're each their own, right? All types. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trevor, one more question. Um, I usually like to finish up our, our podcast just by seeing if there's anything I haven't asked you uh, that you would want to share with someone listening. You know, I think, well, I guess a lot of this conversation has, has been, it's really been enjoyable, first of all, to talk to you. And, and a lot of this conversation has been very upbeat and, and very light, but I mean, I've been through a lot. And a lot of people with cancer have gone through a lot. The, the mm-hmm. surgeries, the chemo, like everything else, it, it, it takes such a toll. And, and so oftentimes we do, and, and, and the, you know, my positivity and my upbeatness is real for sure. But I think under there is always that there's trauma and and there's a lot to be dealt with. And so I guess there's nothing, we, there's no topics that, that come to my head that we haven't touched on, but I will say this is that if you're a guy struggling with the trauma or the burden of cancer, or if you are a caregiver, and you have a man in your life who is struggling with that, just check us out. Find, find your communities, whether it's Man Up to Cancer, Epic Experience, both others. There, there's so many communities now for you to be part of and not be isolated. And, and really at the end of the day, like I said, that's the mission is to make sure that people have support, that they're not alone. Um, so if you're a caregiver or if you're a guy struggling, our, the Wolfpack, like I always say, the Wolfpack doors are always open. Um, we love to embrace you in a, in a place that is zero judgment, all mm-hmm. love. Awesome. I love what you're doing. I think it's incredible, incredibly important and more power to you as you keep going through treatment. Thank you, Gail. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, everyone. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer. 
For more information about Epic Experience and our programs, or to donate, please visit our website at epicexperience.org. Music for this podcast is provided by Moonshiner Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us so we can share our story with more people. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are released. We hope you come back and join us for our next episode. Father time.